think to raise a family in an apartment, it needs to be at least sizable with some great amenities. There needs to be a lot of recreational spaces, safe areas. You need to cater for what people have had in their home life. Would you raise your family in an apartment? With Australia's population set to boom to 30 million by 2030, I think we need to come to terms with high-density living. Welcome to Real Talk, realestate.com.au's property news podcast. It's real questions, real experts and real insights. And today we're talking about what this looks like, how can we do it and why it just might be the answer to Australia's housing crisis. Research by the Grattan Institute shows that younger people are open to the idea of increasing housing density and trading smaller living spaces for proximity to services, amenities and a shorter commute. However, with Australia's strong cultural preference for a house with a yard, particularly when raising children, not everybody has warmed to the idea of an apartment being livable as a forever home. Let's hear what Aussies have to say about the increasing density of our cities. Would I live in a smaller house if it was closer to amenities, services? If I was living by myself, yes. But um, if I had a partner or family members, probably not so much. At the moment, we are raising our family in an apartment. I think it's a good idea to put in more apartment blocks in the city. It'll lessen the stress of the rental market as well, so I think it's kind of like a win-win. I don't think so, because we used to live in an apartment and it's just too cramped. Just the living spaces needs to be bigger and the... Uh, I guess the structure of the apartment rather than considering how many units they can put in, it should be more of how can they make the living areas more livable. Here with me to break this down is Hazel Easthope, the Deputy Director of the City of Futures Research Centre at UNSW, who has 15 years experience researching the way we can live better in cities, and Jason Flanders, the Development Director at Fraser's Property. Thank you both so much for joining me on what is actually a very timely episode because listeners may or may not know that the Victorian government, they released a housing announcement in September calling for 70% of new housing to be infill development in existing suburbs as opposed to new developments being built on the fringe. Victoria will see more apartments, townhouses and units being built with the intention for people to live in them throughout their entire life cycles. Hazel, this hesitancy, I think, comes from a generation that has had access to land. It's as though Aussies simply can't get their heads around living in a smaller space, living in an apartment. Where do you think this hesitancy is coming from? A little bit of it is to do with the history of uh, housing in Australia and the fact that we've been dominated by detached housing. But I think a lot of it is to do with people's reasonable concerns about whether the new apartments that are being delivered and the new neighbourhoods that are being delivered are going to be everything that they're supposed to be. We're not building the apartments that people want to live in. We see that at both the apartment design level, but also at the building and then the neighbourhood scale. It's not just a Aussies need to get over it and move into apartments. It's we need to provide apartments that people want to live in. Jason, we tend to get a lot of backlash on our social media here at realestate.com.au when we post about apartment developments. And a lot of the public comment things like, it's sardines in a can. Why would you want to move into an apartment? Do you think this view is outdated? I don't think it's necessarily outdated. I think there are a lot of examples out there that that actually prove their point. Land is finite and we need to embrace the opportunities that come with apartment living. When it's executed well, it is the linchpin that allows for the sustainable growth of our cities. 
what it does is unlocks locations where people couldn't afford to buy otherwise uh, and, and provides them a higher lifestyle offerings. It gets you closer to surrounding amenity, the transport, employment, social infrastructure and the like, and provides an opportunity for people to get a foothold in the market in an area that you you identify with and, and presents a lifestyle opportunity that you thought were, were years beyond you. Hazel, do you have anything to add to that? I think it would be really good if we could kind of unpack why the apartments that we've got are not always meeting people's expectations. Apartment buildings, theoretically, um, should provide all sorts of sustainability benefits because they've, they've got shared walls and ceilings, so they're losing less heat um, to the environment. But the way that they're designed often is a single aspect along a corridor because that's where you, how you can fit more apartments into a building. And if you do that, then you lose the cross-ventilation benefits, for example. So there's kind of a tension between the potential of good apartment design and delivery and the market pressures to just get as many apartments as possible in and sell them. What is the future of living in our cities? What do you think it looks like? I'd like it to be an environment where people could say, I, I brought up my kids in an apartment building. It was fantastic. Um, they got to know the other kids in the building. It was a really safe space. We had um, good access to schools and childcare and transport. That's the ideal and that's what I think we should be working towards. But there's a lot of work that needs to happen to make that the norm and not the exception. So how does that vision stack up with what you're seeing overseas? We have a tendency to look overseas for good examples of things. And I think there are good examples here. Rhodes West is a really nicely designed apartment precinct. Green Square is pretty good as well. The issue is that it's not consistently done well everywhere. If we are going to look overseas, we should be looking at regulations that are in place overseas that bring the base standard up. The EU is pretty interesting there. For example, there are EU directives around the performance of new and existing apartment buildings. So there's lots of upgrades of older buildings that are performing really badly in terms of energy efficiency going on. So I talk about sustainability. It's important in and of itself, but it's also important because it's linked to livability and comfort. Jason Frazers are the market leaders in this space and you guys are delivering some really amazing developments. Who are your typical buyers? We really do see that it varies depending on the project and the location. We're able to offer value propositions at scale, amenity offerings that that can be tailored to broaden the appeal of, of apartment living. The key to doing that and, and unlocking that as well is by taking a precinct-wide approach and, and it comes back to genuine mixed-use opportunities where you're creating this node, if you like, where you can get an apartment typology that can be adapted to suit every demographic and every phase of life. And as long as you know what to look for, where to look for it and, and who to look for it from, it is an obligation of us as a national developer to be smarter and better at, at creating these opportunities to, to cater for sustainable growth of our cities in the future. According to the last census, 20% of households living in apartments in Australia were families with children. This demographic is forecast to represent the highest rate of growth in households from 2016 to 2056. We did speak to one person about whether they'd live in an apartment long term. No, I would never raise a family in an apartment. They're too cramped. I guess you'd need um, a lot more communal space, childcare facilities on site, creches, that sort of things as well. I mean, when you think about it, there's with Australia, you have so much land mass, 
So why is it necessary that the, the cities have to be the ones to be the burden of the population expansion? If you think about it, the UK has 60 million people and a much smaller land mass, whereas you're only going to get to 30. The UK can fit inside Australia 20 times over. That's an interesting mindset, in my opinion. Jason, can you give us some examples of what you're seeing and doing in relation to making an apartment living a long-term home? Because we are at a point where we need to reflect on the function of an apartment as a home for a family and not simply as an investment opportunity. It's often a case where people talk about flexibility of a floor plan. And and while that is uh, one of the tools available to make these typologies a long-term living option, the changing needs often rely on expanding and contracting spatial requirements. It doesn't make sense to burden surplus space on someone entering the market, especially when we're at a time where construction costs are so volatile. It just heightens that barrier to entry and and doesn't meet that affordability requirement. The emphasis needs to, to take a higher order and focus on creating communal facilities outside of the apartment itself that attract the families and keep the families there throughout various phases of the life. Hazel, what do you think about raising families in apartments and in cities? There's not a lot of apartments that suit the needs of families at the moment. One of the reasons for that is around the size of the apartments, and Jason rightly brought up the issue of affordability as well. The bulk of apartments that we deliver in Australia into the private market are one and two bedroom apartments because there's more purchases for those and they're more attractive for investor purchases. Add to that the fact that larger apartments cost more and families with children may not be able to afford them. Also add to that the fact that many of the families with children who live in apartments who you picked up in the census are renting and not purchasing. So they're not actually the clients of the people who are designing and delivering the buildings. I do think that there's the potential to be providing common spaces that meet the needs of families with children. What springs to mind for a lot of people when you think about an apartment can be dark, small and non-functional. And I think that's because we're in this predicament through, I think, a lack of regulation in building codes that has produced generations of these dark, small and non-functional apartments. In New South Wales, I know that only 10% of apartments in an apartment block can face south, which means that developers essentially have to build to favour that natural light. But in Victoria, we don't have this. Mm. Hazel, why don't we have national guidelines around the way in which apartments are built. Trying to um, standardise anything that's dealt with at a state level at a national level is always difficult. Regulations like in New South Wales, we have SEP 65 and the Apartment Design Guide, and I think that they're really helpful. But there's there remains equity issues there. So there was a um, some fantastic research done by a, another academic, Alexa Gower, and she was able to demonstrate that even within the same building, renters tend to be in poorer performing units than owner-occupiers in terms of solar access and cross-ventilation. So there's equity issues within the same building. And then, of course, there's equity issues across the whole market. We can incentivize good practice and we should look to it and we should learn from it, but we also need to bring up the bottom standard. I completely agree with with Hazel's point and we can do our best again as a national developer to create the highest standard possible but we're all always going to be tarred with the brush of of what happens when the the regulation just isn't there to control that minimum standard. We're seeing a lot at the moment and learning a lot from build to rent where everyone is renting the apartment and and that 
does offer that genuine opportunity where you can see families moving within a building as their lifestyle changes. It goes to this idea that people can adapt. Is there a project that you're really proud of that you think actually really nailed kind of high density living, giving people what they want? There are a number of, of projects we can point to, and it goes back to that that genuine mixed-use uh, precinct. You know, we have examples of in Sydney at Central Park, in Melbourne, Burwood Brickworks, and here in Brisbane, Cooperoo Square, where we've developed that ecosystem. We can we can control or, or develop and offer a lot more in terms of that convenience, that lifestyle, and that amenity um, that allows people to to stay in place, age in place. They can see value in the community around them and the way that it's been created and invest in that for, for the long term. There was a study done called the Human Scale Theory, and what it does is it suggests that communities form when there is fewer than 40 people living in a building. So fewer than 40 people living in a building probably isn't where we're going with high density living. Jason, what are you doing in your developments that are fostering a sense of that community that's going to want to make people build their life there? This point actually acts as uh, the belief of, of what we get behind at Fraser's. Our belief is that we exist to create belonging in everything that we do. One in three people in Australia identify as experiencing loneliness. That's something that's intrinsic in when we come to a project and a project vision to make sure that we're forging those meaningful social connections. It starts with communication to our purchasers. We establish meet your neighbour events during that that purchasing cycle while the building is under construction, inviting the future residents of the apartment to get together and meet each other on a regular basis. We also have dedicated community development managers that create that platform of community and, and ultimately the body's corporate or the owner's corporation can take over that and, and continue to execute that in perpetuity to keep making sure that, that that connection remains. We make sure that we're aligning with the values of, of the, the purchasers and the residents to, to tailor those amenity experiences as well. We actually want to make sure that these connections are being forged deliberately, not happenstance of when you happen to be going down to the car in the lobby, making sure that we're providing the opportunities for book club, for for you know, dining experiences to come together as a as a floor or or neighbors to to meet on the rooftop, in the garden, in the orchard. We are genuinely creating these these opportunities in the new apartment precincts, neighborhoods, uh, and buildings that are that are being currently developed. I think um we need to be quite careful when we're talking about community and facilitating community development in buildings, though, to understand what people, actually want and what that what that word community means. So I had a, a PhD student, Dr. Sean Thompson, who did a PhD on design of shared spaces in uh, medium rise apartment developments in Sydney. And one of the really interesting things she found was that a lot of people don't necessarily want to be friends with their neighbours. Well, what they do want is they want to know their neighbours. So they want to know them to say hello to, they want to know them to ask them to bring in their mail or possibly to look after their animals or order their plants, but they don't necessarily want to be best friends with them. There's a connection there, but it's not necessarily, you know, deep community where you're in and out of each other's places all the time. That will be different for indiv different individuals, but I think just understanding when we say we're doing community development, what does that actually mean? How do you think that we can successfully foster that sense of community through design? And is there anywhere in the world that you think is doing it quite well? 
I think some of the examples that both you, Alice, and, and you, Jason, have brought up are good ones. I think one of the things is balancing the need for privacy against the desire for interaction. So areas like corridors and lifts are not great. They're kind of forced interactions, but things like roof gardens, courtyards, places where people can choose to either stop and stay or move through are really important. I guess distinguishing between places that are functional as places that you're moving through and places that you can both move through and stop and stay a little while is important. Jason, what do you think it will take for Australians to start getting their heads around the idea that apartment living could be my norm? I think Hazel's point uh, points of, of how this works much more successfully overseas will start to become more prevalent in, in Australia. When we, we're going to see 400,000 people per annum population growth for the next decade, of which at least 250,000 of those people will, will come from overseas migration with different experiences, different expectations, different cultures around high density living that will start to influence uh, how, how Australians view high density living. We also have new generations entering the market who are less familiar with this this older idea of the great Australian dream of house and land. So the demand that will be created is, is, is driven by these new groups entering the market, driven by their new aspirations and creating the norm which, which leads to that change. And it's going to take proven developers with long track records of growing and learning and changing with the needs of the population to, to make sure that the options available in high density living remain relevant and remain squarely in the focus of, of appealing to these people. What I'm learning today is that, you know, Australians' uh, inability, I guess, to stomach high density living comes from multiple factors and they're things like psychological, things that we've grown up with, things that we're used to, but it comes from things like design and community and maybe that we just haven't had great examples of high density living presented to us that make people think, yeah, you know what, this could work for my lifestyle. But unfortunately, we have run out of time. I feel like we could speak about this for hours. As Hazel said before, there's work being done, but there's a lot of work to do in order to make this a viable option for a long-term housing solution. But thank you both so much for joining me and I found it very informative. Thanks, Alice. Thanks very much. 